Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. A strange day at Central. It's remarkable how many times I say that phrase, by the way. Uh, last week was kind of weird because our AC was out in here and we were meeting over in the gym. We're so grateful for how everybody rolled with that and made that work out okay. And this week's a little unusual for us because so many of our, our people are at Camp Cottle. Uh, getting ready for the camp week which starts today. So some of you guys are campers that are leaving and going over there today, but we also had a bunch of people going and setting up and helping us be ready for to receive those campers last night. So our youth group that works as counselors, so many of them are there. Uh, some other adults and volunteers are already in that space uh, making ready for it. Hope you'll join with us in prayer this week as all of these... Uh, well, boys and girls, young men and women are uh, given this week to thinking about God and growing in the Lord. Uh, let's take a moment right now and let's pray for them and for all the things that will happen this week uh, before we start with our, our sermon. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are grateful uh, for your spirit that moves within us. And we're grateful for the way that you are moving us all towards maturity in Jesus. The way that you are leading us all to grow a little bit week by week. This week we're thinking about our young people that are at camp. And the different ways that you're growing them and raising them to be uh, men and women of faith. Oh God, would your spirit work among all those kids at Camp Cottle this week? Would you be with the adults, give them a sense of patience and understanding Father, give them uh, insight and wisdom into the ways that they can speak to and make a difference with these, these young people. Father, we pray that you would open up the hearts of the kids uh, so that they would receive your word. And Father, uh, be able to see the path that you're calling them into uh, in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, we talked about wisdom and words. And we mostly were hitting in verses like uh, this one that you may remember from uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. And uh, this, was, this was one of the texts that we read last week. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And so we gave attention to one of these central themes of Proverbs, which is your words can get you in a heap of trouble. And isn't it true? Did anybody's words get them in trouble this week? I'd love to hear a story. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. Do you know somebody else? You know, I'm saying this for a friend. Words get us in a lot of trouble and it happens all the time. But this is not the only thing that Proverbs has to say about words which have the luxury of moving in two different directions. So Proverbs also has a lot of verses that say something like the first verse of chapter 13, which says this, 
A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. A mocker or a fool or a scoffer or all of the different words that Proverbs uses to talk about people who are walking into ruin doesn't know how to listen to a rebuke. It doesn't know how to receive correction. This kind of theme is all over Proverbs, over and over again. The book returns to this theme that if you want to live a wise life, you better learn to listen to wisdom. And sometimes that wisdom is going to come in the form of correction or rebuke, or it's going to come in terms of words that maybe aren't what you were thinking at the moment. It may come in a way that feels different than what your intuition would have to say. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 has a way of saying it that I think just boils it down so well. It says this, Fools think their own way is right. Fools think their own way is right. But the wise listen to advice. Fools think that the way that they're already going is the right way. That, I mean, that's why, they, that's why they went that direction, right? That's why they chose it in the first place. And in their pride and arrogance, they are so fully committed to the way that they are already going that to hear some other word, to hear some other possibility is like poison to them. They cannot hear wisdom when it is telling them with all desperation to change course. Fools think that their own way is right. But then it says this, the wise listen to advice. And I want you to think about that on a couple of different levels because it's a little counterintuitive, right? I mean, between the fools and the wise, who is it that needs the advice more? You would think that the wise people are the ones that don't need to hear the wisdom from somebody else, right? Wise people... The wise people should be the ones that already know better. So they don't need to hear that word. Is that the way it works though, right? It can't work that way. Because how did they become wise in the first place? By developing the capacity to listening to other people. The capacity for listening to wise words and recognizing them wherever they may come from. The wise listen to advice, it says. And that's both the habit, it is both the wise practice to learn to listen to correction, but it's also how they got to be wise in the first place. The wise listen to advice because that is the habit that they have developed.
practice field up and through a middle school and in high school and one of the most important things that I've looked for in athletes is how coachable they are this last year Deacon was playing on a little team and I was help, helping coach over in Maumel and we were work and we showed up on the first day and I had no idea because it was my first time with this group you know since we moved here and I showed up to practice and we ran through a, a couple of little drills and it becomes very apparent very quickly who the most athletic physically athletic kids are right you see that you can see that just in the way that they walk onto the soccer field they're just in more command of their body than maybe somebody else is you can see who the talented ones are but, if you watch very carefully, it doesn't take too long to figure out which ones are coachable too. The young man on our team. And we were working on a, uh, a drill that kind of taught something that was a little bit counterintuitive, a particular way of playing defense instead of rushing in, making sure that you uh, keep the player in front of you by uh, containing them, Okay. Delaying them, controlling the way that they move one way or the other. It's a very, special, a very particular way of playing defense that doesn't necessarily require tons of athleticism. Went through this drill with the kids, and one of the kids that hadn't stuck out to me as we had just done the warm-ups and play, they were kicking around, one of the kids that did not stick out to me as being particularly athletic or, or maybe even talented from like a, a gifted athletic sort of sense. In about five minutes of doing this drill, I said, that guy right there. Because he's not just doing it the way that he thinks it's supposed to be done. He's listening to the way I'm showing him to do it. He's taken that little bit of correction. And you know what? Some of the kids on my team that were the most talented kids, three months later at the end of the season, it seemed like it was two or three years long, but, you know, by the time our season wrapped up, those kids that showed up that were super talented and knew they were they were about as talented at the end of the season as they were at the beginning of the season but my little dude that showed up and gave attention in the last in their last game of the season he had this phenomenal play where he used that defensive technique, won the ball well from a more talented player that was on the other team, was able to get that, and with the kind of drive that he had, he was able to make it all the way down, got a goal pretty much independently, okay? Had this moment of glory, was part of us winning the game that day. It was a go-ahead go, uh, go goal that we needed 
to win. And you know what? He got to that place because he was not because he was super talented, but because he was super coachable. He listened. And he can make a difference. I, I know I've got some young people in here that are athletes. And I'll tell you, go to those summer workouts, work the conditioning plan and all that kind of stuff. Also, open your ears. Learn to be coachable. Because it'll make a difference, not just in the way that you play the game, but it'll make a difference in the way that you live your life. Because coachability, the ability to listen to correction, turns out to be one of the most important qualities that can determine not just where your season goes, but where your life goes. When you learn to adapt and learn to receive correction, learn to hear wisdom when it comes and tells you something that you might not have come up with on your own. Correction is possibility. Shutting your ears off and saying, like the fool, the way that I'm doing it must be the way that I'm supposed to do it. Leads to an end to growth. But listening to correction opens you up to a whole new way of seeing the world and living in the world and becoming and growing in the world. Correction is possibility. And maybe we should say with this too that if we can accept that correction is possibility then I think we would turn to the New Testament and we would see that correction, in a surprising twist, correction is gospel. There's no preaching of the good news without also the call to repentance, right? The proclamation that God's kingdom is at work in the world also comes with the admonition in the Gospels to repent and believe that good news, right? So correction is possibility in all of the different things like playing soccer or the way that we live our lives in in the practical sense of the world, but correction in our life with God becomes the possibility of the Gospel taking root in our lives too. It's that space in which if we can learn to listen, then we can allow the word of Jesus to take root and bear fruit in our lives, lead us towards something new and different that was never possible without the word of Jesus. Correction is possibility and it includes the possibility of the gospel itself. Learning to be able to open ourselves to a corrective word. That's why you hear this refrain all over the all over the book of Proverbs that fools don't listen to correction, that fools don't listen to rebuke, that if you rebuke a fool, you might as well be just like talking out into the air without without anything ever being heard. It's a wasted a fool a rebuke to a fool is a wasted word. But to the wise, to the wise it's something different. Now, if we take into account what we talked about last week, 
The wisdom that, that the way, the difference between the way that fools and wise people speak and use their words, then we have to think on this end and the listening side of things that it's important for us to also be discerning in the kinds of people that we listen to. So we have to practice some discernment in recognizing voices of wisdom. All the stuff that we talked about last week is useful for the way that we use words, okay? And uh, the way that we wise people use their words is important for me as a speaker. But it's also important for me as a listener to. This is one of the verses that we talked about last week in the way that we use, use our words. Uh, chapter 10, verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 11 uh, says, says this. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And we were speaking about that last week from the side of let's be a people who can use our words so that they can be a fountain of life for the people in our community, right? So we can be a fountain of life for each other. But this week I want you to chew on this proverb from the other side. As a discerning listener. Can you hear the difference between a mouth that is a fountain of life. And a mouth that is concealing violence. Can we discern if we're going to be good listeners? There could be people that accept correction or able to hear the corrective word or hear a rebuke from the right. You know what? There are going to be voices that are correctives or rebukes that, that really are full of foolishness, right? And are we going to be the kind of people, am I going to be the kind of person that is able to discern the difference between what kind of words are filling me with life and what kind of words are poisonous to us. One of the challenges as a, as a parent is just trying to get our kids to eat stuff that won't slowly kill them. And I don't know how my boy is so crafty at doing this, but that kid has the spiritual gift of getting candy. I don't, we, don't, we never buy candy. Never. Okay? The only situation in which I'll buy candy is Halloween, and my full intention is to give it away. I just don't keep it in the house. But he gets it somehow. He'll get, I, don't, I don't know who, who, who in here is teaching his class. They all giving him like three bags of candy a week. I don't know what the deal is. But he, he'll come home from church and have like, I'll be like, where'd you get that candy? Oh, I got this whole bag. He has a tackle box in his room. We got it because he, he wanted to go fishing. It's full of candy. I don't even know where he kid gets this stuff. It's amazing. It's amazing. And if I let him, 
That's what he would, that's what he would eat all the time. A bunch of corn syrup and sugar and the slow poisons that taste really nice for a moment in the mouth. But man, if you dedicate your life to eating that stuff. Thankfully, the boy also, this is such a strange thing, the kid has also always loved himself a good salad too. In fact, when he was a kid, I couldn't get him to eat a sandwich, like a ham sandwich, okay? Because he would be like, no, I want you to make me a salad. And the only way I could solve that problem was I told him, what if I made you a salad sandwich instead? And a salad sandwich is a ham sandwich which, with a piece of lettuce on it, okay? And he would buy that. He would go for a salad sandwich, all right? I think there is something intuitive in him that knows Sometimes those good things to eat are good for you too, right? We have to be careful, not just in speaking life, and not just resisting the temptation to speak violence and other forms of foolishness. We've got to be careful about what we listen to as well. And the truth is that there are so many forms of foolishness in the air in our world. And some of it sounds so sweet. And if you listen to it and absorb it in your life, it'll slowly kill you because it's poison. As people of faith, we have to learn to discern between the voices that are fountains of life, the voices of wisdom, the mouths of the righteous, and the mouths of the wicked that conceal violence, so many other forms of foolishness too. I wish I could give you the ultimate cheat sheet about how to do that, but That's not really how discernment works, right? It's not necessarily a checklist of these are the six things that you should avoid. Although I think if we pay attention, there are lots of things that might make a list. One of the most important for me, and it's become more and more important over the last few years, is being able to listen to to others who are speaking in good faith. You know what I mean by that phrase? It kind of comes up in lots of different settings. Every once in a while you'll even get it in the legal document of what it means to negotiate or approach somebody in, in good faith. Meaning that you're approaching the conversation with sincere authenticity, right? You are coming with at least the intention To have the kind of conversation, to have the kind of dialogue that carries respect for both parties and that carries with it a sense that you really are trying to be honest. I find that more and more this has become one of the key things about helping me decide who I'm going to listen to and who I'm not willing to listen to. And if not drawing 
characters in uh, black and white all the way, like marking people off, at least there are certain kinds of conversations and certain kinds of words that the more I listen to it, the more I hear it and try to discern whether I'm really going to listen to it, I start saying, I am not sure this is coming in good faith. I know this is somebody that's actually listening to my side. They're not actually listening to what I have to say. And even though I'm opening myself up to listening to what they have to say to me, I just feel like it's a really one-sided conversation. I want to be a person that can discern how to listen to people in good faith. And I want to practice those skills both as a listener and as a speaker too. Kind of come back around. I think one of the things that this whole process of being discerning about what we hear from other people if we really invest in that process, really invest in the process of trying to discern what comes as life and what comes as, as a path to ruin, ultimately that brings us back to the kind of speech that we use, doesn't it? The more discerning I become about what it is that other people say and whether it's true or untrue or whether it's full of good faith or whether they're speaking to me in bad faith, just trying to persuade me to their side, the more and more I try to discern how I'm listening, it has a way of teaching me more about the kind of words that I want to use myself too, right? Brings me back to those questions about are, are my own words, not just the words that I'm, that I'm hearing from others, but are my words a place where life is heard, where truth is held up, where violence isn't glorified and where pride doesn't have a place, but rather there's a space in my language for humility, consideration, Love. Ultimately, that's what good faith conversations are like, right? Good faith conversations look at the end of the day like love. Like people who are sincerely interested in each other's well-being. And all of the listening they do and all of the speaking that they do comes from the place of love. This too is a word of the gospel. It's a word about what Jesus is transforming as we place not just our good faith in each other, but the good faith that is directed to God. We learn more and more to open ourselves up to not just ways of using our deeds, but our speech too. Not just to protect ourselves, but for the good of each other. The word of Jesus draws us more and more into that cycle of being better listeners and better speakers so that by our words, we show how much we love each other. That we really do hope for the very, very best of each other.
a community. A community of wisdom is sort of our echoing thought over the course of this study in Proverbs. And one of the real possibilities of the church is that by the Spirit of God, as we listen to the gospel, He creates within us a possibility of a community that can speak and hear words of correction with each other. You have people in your life like that? People who can speak a corrective, wise word. I think that's what we're supposed to be for each other. A group of people who in good faith with each other and ultimately with our faith placed in God learn how to show that Oh, that was a loud word. Learn how to show that kind of loving speech to each other. Let's pray together. Oh God, we give thanks to you for the radical way you have shaped us in the gospel. God, we pray that you would open us up to each other, to the sort of corrective words that sometimes can be spoken in wisdom and love. And Father, teach us how to use our words with each other as speakers so that they can be sources, fountains of life for each other in community. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is the word of love to us. Amen.